Good morning, everyone. I'm Meredith Dancos. I'm the teaching pastor here at The Rock, and we are continuing our series, What the Health? Last week, we talked about lust. If you missed it, you should go check it out on our website, or we're on podcast now. This week, we're talking about gluttony. Gluttony. And our culture has lots of messages about food, lots of things to say about food. Here are some of the messages that you may have seen about food. Here's one. Abs are temporary. Chocolate is forever, right? Some of you are like, yes, that is true. I live by that. Or fries before guys, or pretty much everything else. <laughs> I love this one. Fun sizes for quitters, right? Right? Here we go. Um, I've forgotten a lot of things in life. A meal has never been one of them. And lastly, I just want someone to look at me the way that I look at food. Right? So food, it's a complicated thing. I know there's a lot that goes with it, and there's a lot of shame messages, and I want to be sensitive to that today as well. But food, it, it matters in our life, and sometimes we don't even realize how much it matters until something changes. So I remember the first time I decided to cut sugar out of my diet, I thought, how hard could this be? You know, I don't eat that much sugar. And after like a couple days, I noticed my husband Steve gave me a very wide berth, like lots and lots and lots of room, and I thought, what's his problem? And then I realized that I might have had a sugar problem when I got really upset about something I read in a book, and I decided to just throw it across the room and almost hit him with it. And I realized, oh, maybe I am having withdrawal symptoms, and I am more addicted to sugar than I realize that I am. And this is the thing about food. It can become this background thing in our life until maybe something changes. Maybe you have an allergy, or you're sick, or you know something happens where Suddenly, you're not eating the same way, or what was available to you before isn't as available now. And we realize, oh, food food actually plays a pretty important role in my life. And so as we begin to think about health and our relationship with food, I want to ground us in some, some familiar words of Jesus that will help set the back, background for what we're going to talk about today. So Jesus, this is from one of his most famous sermons. This is out of the book of Luke. And he says this, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? If worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and, th and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry so much about these things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus, he's talking to his disciples in this crowd, and he says to them, why are you so worried? Why are you so worried about 
food. God, God's going to provide for you. What, 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 is, what is all this anxiety about? What good is it doing you? And that's the question he was asking them. And the question we need to ask ourselves today is, what, what should our relationship with food be? What should our attitude towards food be? Is it something that doesn't really matter? You know, is it something that it's just basic fuel and nutrition and we just shouldn't think anything more beyond that? And, and part of the problem is we've made something that doesn't really matter matter? Is that, is that what's going on? Because if we look at the American condition, there, there's a complicated relationship with food. Over a third of American adults are considered overweight and 17% of our youth. But on the other hand, we have about 8 million people struggling with an eating disorder. And so food is complicated. And we have to wonder, is it, is it that we've gotten this like messed up thing where it's really not a big deal and we've made it a big deal? What's God's attitude towards food? Because our cultural messages say, well, you should eat whatever you want and be as thin as possible. Those two things should go together, right? And so it's very confusing. We don't quite know what to do. So what, what is God's intention around food? What, what did God mean for, for us to think about food and how to in, interact with food? Well, if we look at the biblical narrative, food matters. Food matters. Food is almost a character in and of itself throughout the Bible. It shows up. It's got significance. And God has purpose with it because God intends food to point us to him, to point us to our creator and our sustainer. It's always been part of the story. If we go to the very beginning of our story in Genesis 1 through 3, where, you know, it's the first book in our Bible where we begin to see how, how God created us and what God's intention for humanity is, it starts in a garden. Our story starts in a garden, and God created fruit-bearing trees that are pleasant for the eye and good to eat. So food is not, not something that happened after the fall, right? Hunger is not something that happened after the fall and a result of sin and brokenness. Food has always been part of the design. Food has always been, we we're always meant to, to eat and not eat, right? It's meant to shape us. And if if you've ever met someone who's different from you, one of the best ways to get to know someone is through food, right? We celebrate through food. We bond. We're creative. We have a whole network devoted to food. I know some of you out there are food network junkies, you know, and, and you've watched all the cupcake wars and all those other things. But we, we've, we can express our th ourselves through food, and God intended this. So I know when I was in grad school, I had a friend who she had immigrated from Korea earlier in her life, and when she immigrated, she felt like she had to, like, abandon her culture. And she took on an American name. She changed her name to Sue and just tried to blend in. But part of the redemption that she experienced going through seminary was what God actually wanted for her identity. And that being Korean was something to be celebrated. She reclaimed her name and reclaimed her heritage after you know, throwing it away for so long, she invited a whole group of us over to her house, and she created, she, she did this whole Korean feast of all, all of her native foods, and it was delightful. It was wonderful to see her in her element and for all of us to celebrate and to know this part of her. So food has been a gift from God right from the beginning. And throughout the biblical narrative, food keeps playing a role. God gives us feasts and festivals and food codes. And then even in the most significant event in the life of Israel, you know, God's chosen people, they are slaves in Egypt, and they're going to be delivered and rescued. It's called the Exodus, and they're going to be taken out of Egypt and brought to this promised land where they'll be free. And the night of what's called the Passover, God gives them a very specific way to eat, this very specific meal. And then once they leave Egypt, he tells them, do that meal every single year. 
the same way. Eat this way. Why? Because your children are going to turn to you and ask, why are we doing this? And you're going to say, we do this to remember. We do this to remember that God, our Savior, delivered us from slavery in Egypt and set us into the promised land. Food is part of how God shapes his people and shapes his story. It's always been that we're meant to empty and then be filled, daily bread, daily grace. And so we're supposed to have this relationship with food that points us to God. But just like we talked about with lust last week, all of when we get into gluttony, it's a good God-given desire that gets distorted, that gets twisted, that gets out of whack and starts to go off this, off this other path that actually blocks us from God and leads us away from God. And that's what the Christian tradition has always called gluttony. Right? And, and we have this misconception that gluttony is just overindulgence and overeating, but it's much more complicated than that because humans are very creative. And so we can be very creative with how we deal with food because we have this saying, you've probably heard it, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. And we say that to remind ourselves that what you put into your body matters, you know, that if you eat food that's not good for you, it's going to make your body sick, Well, when it comes to gluttony, there's a different saying. We want to say you are how you eat. You are how you eat. So how you eat is an indication of how you are. Just like lust is not a a bedroom issue, it's a heart issue. Gluttony is not a matter of the stomach. Gluttony is a matter of the heart. And Frederick Buechner says it well. He says this, a glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. See, we can use food. Food is designed to point us to God, but we can use food to start to fill ourselves. And it's the ways in which we choose to fill ourselves and start to deal with whatever's going on inside. We try to solve it on our own. This is where we get into the realm of gluttony. This is where we get into the realm of a distorted good desire that goes off off the rails and leads us away from what God intended. And so, again, we tend to think gluttony is just overeating you know, and eating too much. But actually, the Christian tradition has had five forms of gluttony. And just like lust, everyone's going to feel a little bit bad about yourself because we're all going to realize we all struggle with gluttony today. And so five forms of gluttony are too daintily, too sumptuously, too hastily, too greedily, and too much. And we're going to talk about each one of these. Okay, so the first one is too daintily. And I have a prop here that I think represents too daintily best. And it is the Starbucks cup because too daintily is all about preference. And in the Starbucks cup, you have six boxes to tell people exactly how you would like your drink. You, and I know some of you fill up all six of those boxes. I won't make you raise your hand, but you know it. And, or you've been in front of that person that you're like, why is it taking them 20 minutes to order their drink? This is insane. Right? But when it comes to too daintily, it's not about personal preference, right? It's not that you're supposed to like everything or not prefer certain things to other things. It's about saying, I cannot be satisfied unless it is exactly how I want it. It has to be precise and exact. And so this, this is the gluttony of just so. It's particular. It's demanding. And, and so it's about having it my way, getting it my way. My husband, when we were in Seattle, Steve, he worked at a really fancy coffee shop and, you know, one of those really snobby ones. And there was this one customer that was just impossible because she needed her drink to a particular degree. And so she would, someone would make her drink and she'd come back up. She goes, this is just too hot. 
too hot, and then someone else would make it, and she'd come back and say, this is too cold. Now, and it got to the point where only one person, one barista in the whole shop could make her drink. She was that precise, right? And it's this idea of just so. I, ju I just need it how I like it. And C.S. Lewis puts it well, this gluttony of just so. He says, the, it's the all I want state of mind. All she wants is a cup of tea properly made, or an egg properly boiled, or a slice of bread properly toasted, but she never finds any servant or any friend who can do these simple things properly, because her properly conceals an insatiable demand for the exact and almost impossible. Right? The exact and almost impossible. And if we think about you are how you eat, right? that gluttony is not a matter of the stomach, gluttony is a matter of the heart, the heart issue behind too daintily is control. It's control. Because when we think about the world, there's so much that you are not in control of. You are not in control of whether you're going to live tomorrow or not. This morning, my child came into my bedroom and said, Mom, I think I have a disease, and she's covered in chicken pox. I'm, not, I'm feeling very out of control today, right? You are not in control of whether you're going to get a promotion, whether your kid's going to graduate from college, you, whether, you, whether the check's going to come in or not. You're not in control of so much in your life. And so what we start to do when our heart issue is I feel out of control is we start to control this very tangible thing in front of us. I can control how I eat. And so too daintily can show up with picky eating, very being very particular, sending things back all the time. No one can prepare it right. It can show up with yo-yo dieting or counting calories or eating disorders because eating disorders are rarely about food. They are about control. And so the heart issue, when we fall into this form of gluttony, of too daintily, the heart issue is I feel out of control and I need to control my world. But we miss, we miss the kingdom reality when we fall into this. We miss what Jesus is saying. So Jesus, he speaks to do too daintily to this. And and he says to us that, that we actually don't need to be in control. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus says adding an hour to your life is a very little thing. Some of you would love to be in control of that, right? But he says, that's so, so you can't even control that. Why are you worrying about anything? And what Jesus is trying to say to us, when we, when we fall into to the gluttony of too daintily, and we start trying to control our own world and feel in control, what we miss is the kingdom reality that you don't have to be in control because someone else is in control, someone who is good and loving and who is on your side. And so we are how we eat. And when we feel like we need to create our world and be in control of it and, and make sure that everything goes the way that we want, we, we miss out on the gift that, you didn't create yourself, and you didn't create this world, and you're not in control of everything, and you can trust the one who is. So that's the first form of, of gluttony. The second one is what's known as too sumptuously. And to represent too sumptuously, I have a thing of cookies here. Because so uh, when my daughter was two, she got her first cookie. Okay, And my husband had a saying back then, Never give a toddler a good thing because it's never going to end well. And some of you are like, I have a toddler, and that is true, right? And so she got her first cookie. She got her first cookie, and she loved it. She totally thought it was the best. And then from then on, everything was cookies, all cookies. She would, I would wake her up in the morning. She'd look at me. She goes, Mama, we're going to make cookies. I said, 
no, we're not, we're not going to make cookies. Then we get to lunch. Mama, can I have a cookie for lunch? Nope, can't have a cookie for lunch. You bet. Dinner, snack, everything was cookie, 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 cookie. And she was two, so she's not reasonable, right? And so it didn't end well anytime. It always ended in a meltdown because we're trying to teach her, oh, a cookie is a sometimes food, right? It's a treat. But for her, it's like, no, my life is now meaningless unless I have a cookie all the time. And that is the heart of too sumptuously. Really, the heart issue at too sumptuously is this fear of meaninglessness, of lack of value, that my life is going to be worthless, I am worthless, and so what makes my life feel special is what's extravagant and decadent and, and out of the ordinary. And this can show up in lots of ways, like always needing to have dessert or always needing to order the finest thing. I had a friend uh, back when I lived in Connecticut, and he was a wine connoisseur, and he loved wine. And everywhere he went, he would bring his own wine, right? And it was always a very fancy bottle of wine because, heaven forbid, he have to drink a subpar glass of wine at an event. So, no, he always had – and he was very happy to tell you all about his wine. And so part of this was his own decadence right, of I deserve, this makes my life feel worthwhile and meaningful, but also communicating something to other people. See, see how valuable I am? See how important I am? See how great my life is? I am drinking this very fancy, expensive, wonderful bottle of wine, and I'm not drinking your subpar wine, right? And so that's part of what happens when we fall into the gluttony of too sumptuously, is we are trying to communicate to ourselves and to the rest of the world, I'm important. My life has meaning. My life isn't worthless. It's, and, and, and look at me, look at me. And so part of this is we start to miss out when we fall into too sumptuously and we think our life is only worth something if it's special and out of the ordinary and extraordinary and extravagant. We miss out on, on Jesus' kingdom promise. And he says this, how much more valuable are you than birds, right? You, when we fall into too sumptuously, we're trying to convince ourselves and others that our life has value and meaning. And Jesus is saying, you already have value. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to make that happen. You are valuable because you're created in the image of God and God already loves you. And so we're trying to fill up that void when Jesus is saying that what, what really remedies that is already available to you. You are how you eat. The third form, the third form of gluttony is too hastily. And I think nothing embodies that better than McDonald's. So how many of you, when you get fast food, you make sure that you bring it home? You're not eating in your car, right? You go home, you get out a glass plate, and you put on a napkin, and you get out your silverware, and you sit down, you lay it all out, and you make sure you eat each bite very slowly. And you savor every single french fry down to the last crumb. No one, right? The reason why they call it fast food is not just how fast you get it, it's how fast you eat it, right? That's part of it. Because part of it is if you slow, slow it down, you realize, like, this does not taste as good as I thought that it, that it did. Why am I eating this? And when we fall into too hastily, this is when we're rushing. We are rushing through life, and we are rushing through food. And it can look like, you know, fast food. It can look like microwaving your meals. It can look like eating standing up, eating at your desk, eating on the go, like that you're missing meals, that you're skipping meals because you're just so busy. You're so busy. And, and really, the heart issue, the heart issue underneath this 
is I have to provide for myself. I can't stop. I can't slow down. I can't take a break because if I stop, it's, it's all going to fall apart. I have to keep everything going. Our very first instance of fast food in the Bible is between two brothers called Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's in making a meal, and Esau was out working in the field, and he comes in, and he's so hungry, and he sees his food. He says, oh, you have to give me some of that, or I'm just going to die. He calls it this red stuff, right? It's like McDonald's. It's red stuff. Give me that red stuff, or I'm going to die. And Jacob is sneaking. He goes, well, I'll give it to you, but sell me your birthright first. You know, all of your inheritance, everything that God has promised you, all the good gifts God has for you, trade them for a bowl of red stuff. And Esau goes, done sold because he's going so fast he doesn't realize what he's giving up for what he's getting and that's what happens with too hastily when we fall into this form of gluttony when we start to think i can't slow down i can't stop it's all up to me and and i don't have time for any of this other stuff i don't have time to savor i don't have time to sit i don't have time to to waste on any of this stuff we start missing out on the good gifts that god actually has for us because we're going at this at this pace that we get addicted to the rush of our life. And um, Henry Nouwen says we start to fall into this pattern of being filled and unfulfilled. Right? We filled every single moment, every single space, every single commitment, anything that we can do, we filled it all up, but we're left unfulfilled. And he says ultimately we end up busy and bored, right? We're because bored, boredom is not not having something to do. Boredom is this wonder of, like, does it mean anything? Am I getting anywhere? Why am I doing all of this? But we just keep ourselves going and going and going because we think no one else is going to provide for me. No one else is going to take care of me. And we miss out. Again, we trade the good gifts of God for a bowl of red stuff, for something that doesn't really satisfy, that doesn't really matter. Jesus says this. You know, he says, look at the birds. They do not reap or sow. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. But God... Feeds them because God feeds them because God is good and because God loves them. And when we are caught up in this trap of thinking, I have to go and go and go and go and I can't stop because it's all on me, we miss out. We trade in for something that isn't satisfying, some, something that doesn't actually make us feel secure and loved and complete. We, we trade that in for, for what God says, I, I'll provide for you, I will take care of you. You don't, you don't have to rush around to make this happen for yourself. That's my job. That's who I am. And so this gluttony of too hastily is we miss out on the good gift of God's provision, of recognizing it, of gratitude, of stopping and seeing all that's available to us. Okay, the third, the fourth type of, of uh, gluttony is what I call, too, it's called too greedily. And I think tortilla chips and salsa represents this. Something happens in a Mexican restaurant. You know what this is, right? They put the bowl down and suddenly it's like a mad competition for who's going to get the most chips and salsa. They're going to refill the bowl, right? But you start thinking, what if they run out? What if they run out of tortilla chips right now and I let you get one more than me, right? And so we just, we just like compete with each other to the point where you're like, there, there's not a shortage of tortilla chips, everyone. But, but something happens with too greedily and we start to think, I need to get mine, right? Um, well, that's all just falling. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I need to get mine, right? And how this shows up is, like, you know that you've done this. I, have, I admit, I have done this. When you're in a, a long line and you look and you go, probably not going to get seconds with this line, so I'm just going to take my extra portion now. 
right? Because you think, and you don't stop to think, like, what if I take extra and then that person doesn't end up with enough? You just think, no, I, I need to get mine, right? Or you have to be the first in line, or you have to have the biggest piece, or the best piece. I mean, anyone who's been at a birthday party with kids, you're like, they, the two greedily shows up. They're like, they have more icing than I have. They got more chocolate than I did, right? It's just like, I need mine. I need to make sure that I get mine. Because the heart issue, you are how you eat. The heart issue underneath this is this belief of scarcity. There's not going to be enough to go around. It's going to run out. And if I don't get mine, then I'm going to miss out because it's a zero-sum world. If you, if you get it, then I, then I lose. And that's how we start, we start to take care of ourselves and think, I need to provide for me. I need to get mine first, and I need to get the best. I need to, I need to make sure that I get what I want. And, so, um, and, and sometimes this shows up in strange ways. So my husband, again, I love telling stories about Steve, uh, he grew up in this house where they only went grocery shopping once a month. And so they'd go once, and he had four siblings. And so they'd, they'd go and get, like, load up once a month. And then what they would all do is they would go into the kitchen and find the best stuff and hide it. They would, like, have stashes throughout the house. And Steve says his trick, and this is how sneaky he is, he's like, I just hit it in the other siblings' room so they didn't even know it was there. Like, that was his hiding place. But they would come out with, like, a bag of Oreos, and everyone would be like, where did you get that? Because they thought, I have to get mine. And so they all had secret hiding stashes, right? This is this too greedily. Like, if I share with you, I'm not going to get enough, so I'm going to take my own. Culturally, this is a big issue in, in our country. Over 40% of our food goes to waste every year. Over 40% of our food. Well, there's other countries that don't have enough to eat. And, and so we start to think, well, but there's not enough. But there's plenty. We have more than enough. No one here in this country does not have enough. There is enough for us. There's enough to go around. But we start to hoard it. And you show this, like, it's like when you go to Costco and you see something, you think, I should probably get two, you know? I know that they're enormous and it'll probably take me six months to go through it, but what if they're out next time I go? I'm going to get two, right? Because we start to hoard things and keep things. Think, I have to provide for myself because there's not enough. The world is full of scarcity. And so, but food, food doesn't actually make us feel secure. That's what we're trying to do, is if I have enough, if I have something special, if, I, if I've stored up, then I will be secure. If I get mine, then I'll feel steady and secure and safe. But food can't actually do that for us. Food doesn't make us feel secure. Jesus says this, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. See, God's kingdom, God's kingdom is not a kingdom of scarcity. God's kingdom isn't, he doesn't operate on you get some and you don't. Right? God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance, of provision, of getting what you need, not always what you want. Right? Sometimes we think what I want and what I need are the same. But that's not what Jesus promises. He says you will have what you need. Set your heart on that. Don't set your heart on chasing after your own security because you only will feel secure when your heart is grounded in the kingdom of God. Everything else will feel like it can be taken from you. Everything else will feel like it's going to run out or someone's going to get more. And God's kingdom is what truly helps us feel grounded and secure. So the last form of gluttony, the last form of gluttony is what's known as too much. 
And to represent that, I have some jello, because there's always room for jello, right? And here's the thing this is one of the hardest ones to talk about with too much. You know, because this is where it's not, you know, overeating at Thanksgiving or having an extra piece of pie. That's that's not too much. This is what's known as the gluttony of distraction. The gluttony of distraction, where we start to use food to fill in a void in our life. We start to use food as a crutch, as a buffer. Uh, and so this can show up on the outside, but it doesn't always show up on the outside. But this is when we start to, it can look like, you know, always having to um, order your day around food, or you're, con you're perpetually thinking about food, or you're, you're mindlessly snacking, you're eating when you're not hungry. And this is a form of gluttony that I personally struggled with and didn't realize because it is the gluttony of distraction. So growing up, most of my life I was, I was overweight. And I didn't, didn't think about it. Like I didn't think about how I thought about food. And then I came to know Jesus. And one day I just realized I think about food all the time. Like I'm, I'm, I'm eating a meal and I'm planning the next meal. Like what? And it just struck me. And I thought, I don't know what that is, but that doesn't seem right. And so I started praying to God about it. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I pray that you just make food not matter as much. That you'd, you'd help me not think about it as much. And God did answer that prayer. Not overnight, but gradually food started to lo lose its grip in my mind. But what happened was as I wasn't thinking about food, suddenly all of these feelings that I didn't know I had started coming to the surface like feelings of loneliness, or feelings of anger, or feelings of hurt, or feelings of insecurity. And they all started popping up and bubbling up, and I thought, what is going on? And I didn't realize all of those years that I was using food as this buffer, that I never even got near them. I didn't even know I had those feelings. I didn't even know that I was hurt or scared, or lonely, because food was always right there to distract me from that feeling. And when we get into the gluttony of too much, what's really underneath it is this fear that this thing over here, if I give it any space at all, if it even comes near me, it will consume me. It will take me over. It will destroy me. And working through all of those feelings was really hard. It was really difficult to realize, oh, I didn't even know that I had all of this going on. And so, because what we're really trying to do, what we're really trying to do is fill this space and find comfort where there isn't really comfort, right? I mean, you talk about eating your feelings and comfort food and all of this, but it doesn't actually really give us comfort. It gives us distraction. Comfort is not found in food. Comfort is found in our comforter. And Jesus says this, do not be afraid little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And it takes a lot of courage to look at the gluttony of too much because it, it's this moment of realizing I am trying to keep something at bay that I am scared of, that feels like it is going to overwhelm me. But we miss out where our real comfort comes from, the one who truly loves us and cares for us, and can heal us, and help us weather even the most difficult storm in our life. And so when we come to gluttony, in these five forms of gluttony, 
It's not a matter of the stomach. It is a matter of the heart. You are how you eat. Paying attention to our relationship with food helps us understand what's going on inside of my heart, what's going on inside of my life. And the remedy of this is not more self-control. It's not a diet. It's not restricting things. That's not the remedy because it's not a matter of your stomach. It's not even a matter of your habits. It's a matter of reorienting your heart, grounding your heart in all of these kingdom truths that Jesus has given us. All these things he says, you're missing it. You're distracting yourself. You're trying to fill something that you aren't meant to fill. Only I can fill that. Only I am able to do that. Because Jesus says it's about transforming your heart. He says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The remedy to gluttony is about regrounding our heart in the kingdom of God. And the Christian tradition has given us two ways to do this, two practices really help us put, put our heart back on the kingdom, you know, that, that that's where we treasure. And the first one I have to represent that is this empty plate. Because it, the first remedy is fasting. First remedy is fasting. And here's the thing about fasting is too often we think fasting is about feeling really miserable and hungry and terrible and making yourself just, you know, a little bit hangry for God. But that's not what fasting is about. It's not about suffering. It's not about feeling bad. Really, fasting is about opening up space in our lives. My friend Dan Allender says uh, fasting is setting the stage for God to show up in our life. That's, that's what fasting really is. And fasting can look like fasting a meal, but can also look like just taking something out of your diet, right? And it's a symbol. It's saying, you know, maybe I give up sugar, or maybe I give up coffee, or maybe I give up dessert, not because I'm trying to make myself suffer for God, but because I'm opening up space for God to show up in my life. I'm, instead of me filling everything up with the way that I feel comforted and full and valuable and all of that, I open up space for God to do what God wants to do in my life. And so maybe today, for some of you, taking on the practice of fasting for a little bit. Again, giving up, maybe it's giving up lunch once a week. Maybe it's just putting something that you value so much aside for a little bit and saying, okay, well, Clearly, this is, this is taking up space in my life that maybe God wants to fill. Maybe God wants to show me something. So it's opening up ourselves to say, what is it that you want to do in my life, God? So that's the first remedy of reorienting our heart. But the second remedy has always been communion. To represent that, I have this loaf of bread. Because here's the thing about communion. When Jesus first did this with his disciples, one of the coolest things about it is he didn't take big, extravagant ingredients or things that were only special and occasional and, and bring them to the table or only rich people or, or fancy people could use. He took the two most common elements at every meal, everyday, ordinary things, bread and wine, two things that would have been at all of their meals. And he said, when you eat these things, I want you to remember who I am, who you are, and what I've done for you. See, it wasn't meant to be occasional or ritual or special. It was meant to be regular, ordinary, common. It was meant to be a, a recognition and a remembrance of God's constant provision. 
something that they would have had every day to say, remember, when you eat this, when you drink this, remember who I am. Remember what I have done for you. And, and so God takes ordinary elements, the ordinary elements of your life. There's something for you to think about. How can you take, it doesn't have to be bread and wine. We're going we're gonna to partake in communion together in a few minutes to remember together and to give God that space together. But really it's meant to be taking the everyday elements. So it can be taking peanut butter and jelly or eggs and coffee or goldfish and graham crackers. And every day taking these ordinary elements and being reminded, oh, this is who God is for me. God is my comforter. God is my provider. God already values me. God is in control. God is looking over me. There is enough in God's kingdom. And every day making some space to say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Because that's what, that's what Eucharist, when we talk about communion, means. It means thanksgiving. And this opportunity for us to stop and say thank you, God. Thank you that I don't have to provide for myself. Thank you that I don't have to keep rushing and that I don't have to make something so special and extravagant that you are part of my everyday life, that you love me and you see me. Norman Worsbeth says this. He says, whenever people come to the table, they demonstrate with the unmistakable evidence of their stomachs that they are not self-subsisting gods. They are finite and mortal creatures dependent on God's many good gifts, sunlight, photosynthesis, decomposition, soil fertility, water, bees and butterflies, chickens, sheep, cows, gardeners, farmers, cooks, strangers, and friends. Eating reminds us that we participate in a grace-saturated world. And so we're going to eat together this morning. So we're going to come, come forward and we're going we're gonna to participate in the bread and the cup that Jesus says, do this to remember. Remember that you live in a grace-saturated world. That you are not on your own. That you are not alone. That you don't have to do it all by yourself. That I will provide for you and care for you. And here's the thing. At Jesus' table, everyone is welcomed. Everyone is welcomed. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you think, no matter what you've been through, everyone gets to dine with Jesus who wants to dine with Jesus. And so today, no matter where you are in life, you are welcomed. You are included. You are part of this community. You are welcomed to dine with us to remember who Jesus is for you on your behalf, what he's done, and who he wants to be in your life. And so in just a minute, I'm going to give us some, some directions on how to, how to do this, and we're going to worship as we prepare. But I'm, I want to pray for us right now. I want to pray about how we are, how we eat, and that we'd have a moment to really reflect in our heart what's going on there. So let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful for your love, for your attention, for your care. God, we're thankful for the reminder that we're not on our own, that we don't have to take care of it all on our, on, by ourselves, Lord. God, give us the courage to examine our heart this morning, to give over to you where we've been trying to control or fill ourselves up. And God, as we come forward this morning to receive the gifts of the bread and the cup, would we be reminded of who you are, what you've done for us, 
of your great love for us, Lord. And may we rest in that and receive all the good gifts that you desire for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our worship team is going to play a song for us to to really reflect and and set our hearts right as we come forward and receive the elements. I'm going to give you the the actual instructions to do this. So you're going to all exit to your right. You know, what the, the right, so this is, it's my left, your right. You're going to exit to the right. You're going to come down. There's stations on all sides and receive the bread and the cup and then come back up on the left and then go back into your seat. Uh, if you are gluten-free, there's a gluten-free station right here in the center. So just you can just come right to here if that's something that you need. And then when you get the bread and the cup, just stay, keep them, keep them. Don't, don't take them yet because we're going to take them all together. But during this worship song, you know, we're going to sing, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And too often we've been taught communion only counts if you feel really, really bad about yourself and you've thought about everything terrible you've done. That's not really what it's about. It's about receiving and gratitude and, and recognizing the love that God has for us. So I would encourage you while you sit and let this song wash over you and you're welcome to sing along, you want, that you would see God's arms are open wide. You are welcomed here. So we're going to worship and then you can come forward as you're ready. Everyone is welcomed at Jesus' table because he wants to set each and every one of us free. He wants our heart to be so grounded in his kingdom that we are free of worry and fear and shame. And he gave up everything so that we might know that freedom. And so when we take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup, we are reminded of the extraordinary grace that is available to each and every one of us because of our Savior, Jesus. And so therefore, we remember, just like he told us to, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, ordinary, everyday bread, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, eat this all of you, for this is my body given for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the ordinary, everyday cup, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink this, all of you, for this is my blood poured out for the new covenant, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. And so therefore, Jesus, we thank you for this reminder of your grace, your mercy, and your love. Let it be for us, the body and blood of Christ, that we are reminded that it is through you we are truly set free. And that as we are set free, Holy Spirit, you come to live in us and change us from the inside out. And so we welcome you here now as we remember all that you have done for us and all that you want to do in us. Heal our hearts, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I'm going to invite you all to stand up. We're going to sing one last song together where we invite the Holy Spirit here in our midst and in our lives to change us and heal us and set us free.